This is the AI Artifacts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Brian Warmoth, with Sarah Luger, PhD, and we are back again to go beyond the hype, under the hood, and into the fray to see what's happening in AI this week. We are back, and this is the final, I hope, I think it's the final AI Artifacts podcast episode of the year. year. Yeah, (laughs) unless there's some sort of emergency breaking news on the 31st that we've got to do something about, but Ooh. yeah, I, I don't want to cancel plans. I know you don't either. Sarah, you have any big New Year's plans this year? Do anything fun? I think I'm going to have a chill <laughs> New Year's. How about yourself? Oh, <laughs> I, I, you know what? The last okay. few years, the last few years, I've taken to finding really good Twitch streams of events. <laughs> as a parent, you know, if you like a babysitter or anything. So we'll see what I can mm-hmm. find this year. I, in some years past, I've known friends who were DJing on twitch stream somewhere else and those have been my go-to choices when possible oh yeah 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 this is a special episode i've participated (laughs) oh this is a special episode it's a special episode we're gonna do we don't have a guest on today it's gonna be sarah and me talking to you the listeners about some predictions coming up this in 2024 we're gonna talk about the news that we saw this week and i've got a very special edition of two truths and lay eye once again Although I think we're at the point where every every edition is very special right now, which is how I try to keep it. So, Sarah, let's start off with the big thing going into 2024. I want to know what you think first. And I have a very specific way of seeing predictions. I think when, when I come up and think about these things, for me, having a prediction at all is less important as just having a framework for important things going on and doing a little think through of what potential outcomes are like given where trajectories are going and trends that we've seen. So uh, that's, that's my opinion. What did you think about when you sat down to make a prediction today? I kind of did a word cloud of key topics I thought might be, might continue to be relevant for next year. Yeah. And then it became pretty. It was pretty obvious what my prediction is. But basically, let me let me share that word cloud to give context. So, I have been saying that Apple has been quiet. Yeah. And I think that this on-device, super low energy, low overhead hardware LLM is coming. Yeah. I also recently read that a rumor. It said. One of uh, Apple's LLMs is called Ajax, A-J-A-X. I also think that, and one story that we'll talk about today shows how relevant this is, is that Google's search dominance is really going to be falling. And I wonder if the numbers are going to show that in in their overall revenue. Mm. So that's something shareholders might be looking at. It's absolutely but something with Apple, yeah. yeah, with Apple, they've also been somewhat quiet on the LLM front somewhat right Mm -hmm. there's a couple other players in this space that have taken over and there's space for google and apple to make some some pretty impressive hardware Mm -hmm. moves as well as software so i also think that we're going to see in the spring there's a human ai's small projection-based phone. It's an AI hardware device Mm -hmm. that has been launched. I think there could be other IoT devices. IoT was very hot. When you think about predictions, you kind of think of a cycle. Okay, what was not hot, you know, Mm -hmm. X, hot minus X number of years. Mm -hmm. 
because things do repeat themselves. I also think that we're all a lot more familiar and comfortable with smart or smart homes, smart technology. Hmm. I think that there's going to be a funding and generative AI shakeout. Hmm. So there's going to be fewer, the trough is going to get a little smaller and there's going to be more of a real competition to see which of these startups, especially ones that sit on top of the foundational models will be excelling. And, you know, we did talk to Fabian of Pulse AI and he's in this space. I think that mm-hmm. he'll do well as well as other other generative AI startups that are, that are platform agnostic. Mm-hmm. And then I think regulation will be big mm-hmm. because it's, it's, we're slowly getting there. My prediction is that enterprise implementation of large language models is going to be the space. This is the move away from the entertainment focused wow factor mm-hmm. of chat GPT to, I know this is really, really dramatic, but enterprise use cases using this technology in business uh, situations for mm-hmm. historically non-large language model AI companies yeah. to do precise recalled, precise recall and document retrieval, multimodal, yeah. multimodal is a word that, that drops mm-hmm. in there. So small language models is another way of thinking about this because yeah. you go into an organization and you take their data and you turn it into, you vectorize it, you turn it into a searchable resource. Mm-hmm. So it's enterprise yeah. implementation. Enterprise implementation. You, you think that's where, so fair to say your prediction is that's where the money is going to be. And that's where the growth is going to be in 2024 mm-hmm. enterprise implementations. And I think, yeah, yeah. I think that, yeah, there's going to be another, I think, you know, Meta is going to drop Llama 3. Mm-hmm. I think that there's, that's going to be dynamic with open source mm. support. I think it'll continue to be open source. So I think that the functionality should get up there to be more competitive with GPT-4, hmm. but enterprise implementation. That's fascinating. I Let's look at it this way too, because what you know what this reminds me of framing framing things in this way is the path that augmented reality and wearables went on when we saw, you know, going back to the, the Google glass headset, you know, on its dramatic, like debut, they had these like sphere stores on bar. You remember the bar Were those, I forgot Were they sphere. No, they were cubes. Weren't they? There were cubes on barges, right? Yeah. They had the, yeah. On the, barges. Yeah. They I, went, why a barge? The barges. So you remember the mysterious barges, right? And it was yeah. it, it was framed <laughs> as potentially being the next Apple retail kind of experience for these headsets. And it was going to be this huge consumer device. And then it just sort of faded out of like what was essentially a beta, but reemerged as a very compelling enterprise product. And then, you know, Microsoft had their HoloLens use cases and people found industrial business contexts to make these things work. They just did not become everyday parts of consumers' lives, right, in daily life. So that's what yeah. I wonder, is is AI going to be like that? Or do you think the you think it's going to see a, a stronger way forward for the average consumer as a you know as a product? I think it's going to improve the average consumer's interaction with a company. It's going to help internal workers find, retrieve information, have information discovery. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to make 
you know, it's going to continue on this kind of chatbot mm -hmm. theme that it's going to help companies have better interactions or at least more sophisticated mm -hmm. interactions with customers. Mm -hmm. And again, that has to do with the smaller language model that is customized to the data mm -hmm. on your company's website or for the enterprise user internal to your own company. So you're at your desk, you're looking for something, you need some statistics that the sales team put together about revenue growth in mm -hmm. different partnership organizations, and you can query that. You can you have access to yeah. information that your colleagues created that was otherwise siloed, or you know maybe the most sophisticated search prior had been an infant mm -hmm. needed to be updated automatically, or you're searching through like email attachments. I love this idea, and to me, this is very much what I've heard from a lot of these platforms that are pitching themselves as being uh, an intermediary to make vast amounts of data and internal resources more accessible to the average user instead of forcing the average worker to spend tens of minutes sifting through cloud drives, wherever your Excel spreadsheets and everything are stored and creating a faster means to discovery, right? And I want to say, actually, your your prediction is very complimentary to my own. I, the more okay. you talk, we can get into this in a second. We generate a lot of information now. Let's retrieve it. <laughs> yeah, right. Retrieve it. Right. Let, and and yeah. let's let's see if some of these companies can make some money. Mm -hmm. And I mean that in a way that doesn't touch on copyright internal data that is owned by the user of that data. You and I are absolutely. You're gonna. You're gonna really love what I say in a few minutes because I think we have very complimentary bullet points to our supporting cases. Actually, yeah, great. So that's me. Brian. Yeah, that's great. I, I'm a little. I think I'm a little bit more narrow in my focus. Um, I, I came at this from a, a media standpoint because I know, as anybody listening knows, we've been talking a lot about partnerships, about well, the lawsuit we're going to talk about later today, and all of the things going on between the media world and the tech world in terms of LLMs and what the relationships are going to be like going forward. So let me tell, let me tell you what I think is going to happen in 2024. And this comes from watching a, a really interesting company. I'll share the link on here. There's a, if you, if you follow travel news, you work in the travel industry or you follow what's known as the B2B media world of business to business news and information. You might know of a website called skift.com. It's a travel industry site. I'll include their link to, for what they're doing, but they were kind of the inspiration for this. I think what's going to happen in the new year, we've seen partnerships. We've seen the lawsuits. I think what you're going to see among media companies in 2024 is a discovery that AI can be a very useful tool for helping them to realize value from their large individual corpuses of stories and data that they have. And I think that you're going to see like on website implementations of these. I'll talk about a few things that I think it can improve in some, some cases, but we're really seeing a lot of experimentation right now. Uh, Skift does something really interesting with theirs where they are trying right now to create sort of an assistant. Like if you think about, you know, what ChatGPT does, think about 
in a more narrow context, if you just have a user who's interested in a specific type of subject matter in an industry or that a news publication specializes in, and this is where I think it's really uh, an opportunity for very niche publications with long histories of, of story publication. What if you turn that into something that's a much more searchable and much more easy to access body of answers for questions? Because where, where this crosses paths with a problem I've seen at many places is on-site search for many news websites is terrible. In a lot of cases, very terrible. And it's terrible. It's, you know, it, it's an unrealized opportunity for many, many publications out there who have a terrible search bar experience. What if leveraging AI, you can turn that search bar into a new opportunity for your readers to connect more with what you have over many, many years, in some cases, decades of covering breaking news and data. And you give them opportunities to do things like answer questions with citations to news articles you've published. So, you know, get charts based on data that you've published in the past to support cases instead of a long bulleted list of things that have words in common with what you just mentioned. And if you can turn that into a better experience, and I think that's what's amazing about what we've seen in the LLM space for the past year is the technology is getting much better at conversing with you and understanding your intention and having this like real chatbot experience. So to me, I think somebody's going to crack that code and I think it's going to be an inspiration. I don't know if it's an opportunity for an external vendor, like, you know, Google would give you your technology for searching on your website. You know, you could do a Google search on your website and just outsource that to them instead of, you know, building something in-house to get results. I don't know if there's an opportunity there for, I don't know, maybe it's Google with BARD or, or OpenAI with ChatGPT to do more custom implementations of that to improve search experiences, or if somebody's going to develop something in-house that really works and is compelling. But I'm really curious whenever I see or hear somebody working on this, because I think it could be a pretty pretty cool value add for a lot of websites. It's kind of a personal analyst. Yeah. Yeah. And, and plus multimodal again. Yeah, exactly. Multimodal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I like this idea. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, I I think our predictions are definitely adjacent. I mean, I, I just think that there's so many cool areas for, you know, drug discovery, Mm -hmm. biomedical broadly, right? Like there's so many cool areas that we haven't been, we haven't historically applied these technologies to as, as robustly as we can. And so there's going to be a lot of change and discovery, but I really think that your, your idea is a great one because we have this information, we've been generating information and there's intentionality behind the, the creation of it. And it, especially if we really create a priority on human generated data, then this is about finding that data, mm-hmm. not making something up, anew or if it is making something up it's the beginning and middle and end of the sentence with actual links to as you said referable data resources mm-hmm. in the in that fill out those those slots in the rest of the sentence yeah it's funny i've seen cool i've seen so many attempts to do it i, I know i've seen i remember a long time ago 
quartz, you know, the, the old what QZ, the, the website, they, they used to have a chat experience, like chatbot style experience for interactives with their news. And I, this was like long, this was long before AI was really there, but it, it always stuck in my head as something that if you could really make a, a very good interactive experience for discovering news and information and turning your site into a resource that is better than a Google search or better than what chat GPT does when you have that data and that information to build the tool off of that there's, there's really something there for the, whoever can do it right. So that's my prediction. I, and I think, as you said, you said there's an enterprise opportunity. I, for me, this isn't I mean, this is an enterprise opportunity for large media companies. It's also an opportunity for smaller news media companies who happen to be successful niche publications too. I think that this follows a kind of belief I've had for many years that good AI companies that are focused on one domain mm-hmm. need to have real domain expertise. Mm-hmm. So it's AI plus domain expertise. We've seen successful companies like Grammarly, mm-hmm. you know, Persado. These are folks that have been using generative AI technologies mm-hmm. for some time and know their customer know their data inside and out. Mm-hmm. And it's that kind of partnership that I think it's going to continue. Like you can't just throw AI at a problem and you have to have, you have to know what success is. Yeah. And I say, I mean, this is a side pred- pred- prediction, but based on what I've seen, I think companies like that are going to see the best growth arcs going forward uh, yeah. in, in, yeah. in 2024. Yeah, I, yeah, it's funny. I, cool. You and I come to some of the same conclusions. I I love that. I was I was wondering. I, I was halfway expecting us to be at odds or something, but I think all right, we're kind of attuned there. Well, let's <laughs> let's dive into news for this week because we do have news to get into, and this we is, have news. This is a good pivot from where we were just right. So one of the big stories yeah. this week was that the New York Times is suing OpenAI about their use of New York Times content for training chat GPT essentially, right? The data that scraped the New York Times paywall data that they scraped and or the data that was from the common Mm -hmm. crawl. What what did you think? What what do you think about the grounds for this lawsuit, Sarah? Uh, Not that either one of us is a lawyer, but just based on what it seems to say about what they're doing. I, I think that it's timely. I think it's important for media companies, especially ones that have good reputations, such as the New York Times, to fight for their space in the future and to understand that their data has value. Now, how does it legally shake out? Mm -hmm. Do they have anti-crawler verbiage in their um, terms and conditions for usage? Do they have other other legal feet to stand on. I mean, this is, I think this is like a larger discussion about what is copyrighted, what does trademark mean? And and this is specifically about um, content that's online. So is a paywall enough? What is, what if a human was doing this? What if you had a warehouse of workers who were all paying, uh, you know, getting through the paywall by paying and recording all of this information? Like, is it, is it, the fact that it's automated, that it's not human-based, that this specific speed and uh, scale is something that a human couldn't do. I think that's a 
I think that there's going to be upstream mm -hmm. cases that will be reflected in the findings of this one. I, it's also interesting that they're trying to join potentially other lawsuits, which makes me think this is more of a class action play. And then finally, I, I think that that it may be a ploy because maybe the terms, if they tried to partner with OpenAI, maybe the terms were not good. It does sound like it's been difficult. Or There was another story out there that like, we can include a link to, yeah. but there, there's other companies. Yeah. I mean, there've been successful agreements, like we talked about the Axel Springer yeah. deal, right? But it sounds like other companies have been in exactly. advanced talks of some, or you know, significant talks, should we say, with OpenAI about getting deals like this. You know, so there's some speculation this might be leverage to try to get a better deal than exactly. what was possible. Maybe, maybe not. I don't, I don't know that answer. There was some insight I saw from Mike Masnick, who writes on uh, TechDirt, and he got into this and he was he was pretty skeptical of the New York Times chances of success here and even said he thinks the the way the case is being presented here that the New York Times itself might put itself at risk if it were decided that it is not okay to just well as you were talking about you know if you have a, a room full of people somewhere is it the same thing as a machine scraping and using this data to create an output and what he was saying is, you know, like this is what journalists do every day at large organizations, and not every not not every fact is always cited uh, or attributed to mm -hmm. uh, another news organization when it's taken. I'll include another link to some criticism I saw about this, where they were looking at the verbatim output that would appear in some 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 instances, and to me, that's that's a lot more directly, more obviously problematic. That if you are having a like paragraphs of text and whole full cloth. full sentence whole cloth yeah. just being stated as fact without attributing to where they're coming from and framing them as quotes you know that's that's practice that you shouldn't do in journalism and that's that's a clear separation of like something journalists I'm not saying it never happens it, it does out there and it should not but you know you that's a problem anyway what he was saying i don't know if you are you familiar with this serve it, uh, this this website called common crawl it operates yes. yeah it operates in a similar way as the internet archive the way i understand it which is you know for research purposes it actually creates backups of a lot of scraped content around the web i believe it's partly sponsored by the internet like the internet archive mm -hmm. has the internet archive also the purveyors of the wayback machine mm -hmm. they're basically trying to record our digital history yeah. in the elusive present for the even more elusive mm -hmm. future. And I believe that they're collaborators with the Common Crawl yeah. or host yeah. a version of it. Yeah. Well, he was saying that, I guess, the New York Times recently found a way to get itself not scraped for use in Common Crawl. And, you know, he was saying, like, if, if this case were to go the New York Times way, the way it's framed, it could be a death knell for somebody like common crawl, right. Or maybe the, I don't know, the way back machine yeah. perhaps too. So, yeah. yeah I, so it sounds like there's, there's reason for skepticism about this, but I, I promise you every single media company is paying attention to how this goes because after seeing all of the fights with Google news over the years, and we've seen what is in, in Canada, they even 
you know, made a lot of restrictions news, over, over what can actually meta be and news returned in and, Europe. And, yeah. and, and appear in Google news search results. Right. I know a lot of companies have to be looking at this as the next, you know, this is the next arena to, to, to protect their interests. And in. so, yeah, it, it's something to watch. Let's, but let's also state pretty strongly. These interests are, they pay humans and often it's in the New York mm-hmm. Times case. They, this is a respected journalistic enterprise of almost 200 years. You know, they, they basically are supporting humans with intentionality doing this work. Yeah. And I think it's important to note that this is kind of, this is going to be a bellwether, as you said, for everyone else. And yeah. what happens, there's, you know, media, old media has been dying. This is a narrative. What happens when we don't have high quality information that's intentionally written by humans? I think this is. I agree. I got the specific here. New York Times has been publishing continuously since 1851. So you're about there. Almost. Well, they've got, they've got like 30 years to go. Yeah. 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 But yeah, let's, we'll, we'll all be watching this closely. Yeah, it's true. I mean, people, a lot of people who criticize the news don't understand. We've talked about this before, but the process of actually going out and doing the door knocking and phone calling to get information that is not publicly out there in the light already is an expensive and very valuable process. You know, it's it's tough to get that right for the economics, whether you're in a nonprofit scenario or doing ad something sales. yeah yeah ad, ad, when ads yeah yeah it's tough to make the business models work but it is labor intensive but it produces things that are, have a lot of value to people especially resonating yeah. value mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it's important you know it's like mm-hmm. it's important to know what's going on mm-hmm. in your neighborhood and then also on the other side of the planet it's yeah. and i do i do hope that journalism and my main concern with the way that we talk about generative AI and as we shake out these, the parameters and regulations is that some people are saying, oh, well, how do I future-proof my career? Mm-hmm. And they're thinking, oh, I don't, I shouldn't become a journalist or a graphic designer. And, and that's. Which is sad. I very, think the, the nature of the work yeah, is changing. Is <laughs> it is, it's changing. And there, yeah, there yeah, aren't as many really sad. high paying jobs with the same job descriptions mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. it, there are opportunities to do, to accomplish the things that those jobs used to accomplish, sometimes even in better ways than used to be possible, yeah. especially in data journalism. Like to me, it's been a very exciting time for yeah. data journalism and discovery the past, especially decade, decade and a half or so. Let's get into something that touches on a point you brought up a little bit earlier when we were talking about hardware in the new year. Yeah. Right. So I know you mentioned on here before what Johnny Ive was potentially working on. So the the news this week with was Sam Altman. With Sam Altman. That was part of yeah. the whole week and a half of OpenAI drama. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's been a, a new team member joining Johnny Ive at his design firm, and that is Tang Tan, who was the top designer for the iPhone yeah. most recently at Apple. And this is a big move for this technology. It's a big move for hardware. Johnny Ive, of course, is you know, world-renowned for his work and design work at Apple and all of the uh, products he touched that are now you know, iconic pieces of history in the consumer tech world. So what I want to ask you about this, 
do you think that and this this is going to be hardware that is built to run OpenAI software, right? To me, this is fascinating because we've seen other companies go software first and go hardware later. And it's a very difficult road to cross sometimes if you're if you're trying to go that way rather than creating a device and then figure out the best software to power that device to get what it does get it to do what it needs to. Do you think this is going to be the year that we see the, what's what this generation will call finally the, that mystical next iPhone, you know, that everybody seems to be chasing? Well, let's look at the numbers. Yeah. This is the 14th. This is the 14th member of Johnny Ives' former mm-hmm. team yeah. that's left. That doesn't make me feel, you know, I have, I'm a beat about Apple's prospects in other areas. Mm-hmm. But in terms of designing the new phone, that does get me a little concerned. You know, these are very talented people. It's hard to hold on to them forever. But when you create high-functioning teams, there are several you know key dynamics that can keep them moving forward. And as we know, in Silicon Valley, that is often working on the hottest, coolest thing. So I, I think that there must be some real attraction about what Johnny Ives love form, I believe is the name of his love from love Love from love from. Hmm. So, you know, emotion, emotion is key, how we feel when we use these devices. Yeah. I, I think this is, this is very interesting. We've, we've seen, we haven't seen the anything more than a stepwise change in this space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm I'm really curious. So we'll see. Maybe they'll make something beautiful. Maybe I we'll just so. get the next. Hopefully it'll be better than. You remember the Facebook phone? No. <laughs> I'll, I'll put a link to that. <laughs> I'm not their target the audience. I'm not their tar- target audience. Or the Amazon but, phone. But you know, Amazon said, tried to do a phone too. Did they? Yeah. I heard that Google tried to do a phone. I, well, I mean, Google has a phone. <laughs> it was oh, a yeah, joke. Yeah, okay. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You might be hearing the... about these Android phones sometime. Sometimes soon. Well, the yeah, Android's yeah. probably a good. And Android's probably a, a good example to hold up, though, though, asking about software that came first yeah. and, and created an ecosystem of hardware to support it, you know? Uh, yeah. Exactly. And it's also a much better value price point for all of us who do not need a, what was, you know, a supercomputer mm-hmm. 40 years ago in, yeah. our, in our pocket. Yeah. Now it's, I mean, that's kind of the mission. And isn't that the, the mission with a lot of like voice power voice technology powered devices, right? Is you want to have the hardware kind of fade into the background in a lot of cases. You don't want something that's intrusive and visible and has to be touched, right? The less intrusive and the more ambient the experience with the product through voice interaction, the better in many cases, right? Yeah. I think it's interesting with the Snapchats and the TikToks of the world, Mm. this kind of social, the socialization of using apps. Mm -hmm. So you're on the schoolyard and someone shows you how to use it. You know, it's otherwise kind of obscured to maybe uh, someone who just picks it up on, on their own. But a real voice use case is a phone that you don't have to have any, any buttons that, mm-hmm. that have words on them, maybe yeah. buttons that just have pictograms so that you could, you don't have to speak the language that the phone was has a, an interface in and you can just engage with it as a completely as a Star Trek communicator. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that that's the future. Man. 
you know that if the second something like that comes out, there's going to be like a cover that looks like a Star Trek communicator. It's going to be well, the, phenomenally successful totally. and, for the Star Trek convention crowd. Hum, the humane.ai. I mean, I'm not a fan of this device, but I do think, again, when we talk about predictions, it's a cycle, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, next year we'll be talking about blockchain again. Can't wait. <laughs> so. Can't wait. Woo-hoo. Can't wait. <laughs> All right. Let me tell you, before we get to Two Truths and AI, that, you know, I was about to make this a uh, like legal AI themed week when I read this story. And then I was like, there's no way she hasn't heard about this by the time we go. But some bar- Google Bard news in the news this week is Michael Cohen, Donald Trump's former attorney, got into some trouble because he admitted that he had used or he'd submitted legal filings or his, through his lawyer, he had submitted legal filings that had used Google's AI chatbot Bard to cite some legal cases that didn't exist. And the judge found out they didn't exist. Bard made them up. I love this story. Right? <laughs> I love this story. There's so many, there's so much here. There, there is it's a lot. Just, it, it, it really checks, it checks a lot of boxes. It does. Hubris, one. This is someone who who has some savvy. I mean, he was a political fixer and lawyer. Mm-hmm. So this is this is someone who used a machine like a laptop before. And his when when grilled on this topic, he said he assumed that Bard was just a supercharged search engine. Yeah. So that he was using something like Google and that it would return information to him that was factual. Now, this is a really important spot to say, okay, so in the post chat GPT world, if you are using one of these, if you're using a search engine, much less a supercharged search engine, or an LLM that's been, mm-hmm. that's using scraped previously generated data, you are going to, and in addition to an LLM, you are going to get constructed information. Pardon me, constructed Synthetic, synthetic information. Yeah, but I mean, I'm almost wondering, is it information? You know, we could yeah. define what information yeah. is. So synthetic data, mm-hmm. right? And so he thought that he was using a search engine. But even if he was, the future is such that these, that our search engines won't return as high quality data as in the past, in the post chat GPT world. He said it was an honest mistake, and I believe him. I do but believe that. I mean, was, it would be yeah. nobody, very few people. I can't think of a single scenario where somebody would intentionally submit a bunch of legal citations in court for something that mattered. Right. At, 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 at issue here was an attempt he was making to get, he was trying to, I'm quoting from his, Axios here. He was trying to secure an early end to the court ordered supervision. Yeah that he has been under since he was released early from prison in 2021. So this is what was at stake for him. Uh, you know, I can't imagine you would self-sabotage yourself by intentionally submitting these things. So, yeah, it, but at the same time, what this gets back to to me is how much of a learning curve is there going to be for the general public with these products as we see medical or legal or other scenarios where people are using this for information, believing it to be by default true, so to speak, good information, when in fact, there's just a roll of the dice happening in a lot of these cases about whether these numbers or concrete facts that you see are actually rooted in reality. 
our information. So he did he did a Bard query, mm-hmm. an interaction with Bard that returned references to cases that didn't exist. Right. And then he passed that information over to his lawyer, mm-hmm. who he also, uh, Cohen also says that he thought the lawyer would double check anything because they're a lawyer and that's their job. And the lawyer did not. So this is kind of a, a double whammy of it was wrong and the checks and balances of our system, which shows the weaknesses. I mean, his lawyer is a human. I believe that Cohen's been disbarred. I believe, you know, these are, I don't know of his current status, but I believe he did lose privileges when he was found, when he was sent to prison. Yeah. And so this, this shows that even there's research that shows propaganda, even before the rise of the internet was especially powerful in democracies and places where reputation, such as I'm a lawyer or I was a lawyer could be parlayed into gravitas. Mm -hmm. So here we have two lawyer or lawyer adjacent people who didn't check their work. And I think that gives us a window to how a lot of the world operates Mm -hmm. and an unfortunate reminder that this is just generative AI can be another tool for, I don't know. Misinformation. Make, or disinformation. <laughs> misinformation. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, the, the house of cards that is mm-hmm. many people's daily lives. Sure. Like this is, this could have really cascading mm-hmm. detriment to, to some folks. Well, it's a good transitional story to get into true truths and lay eye anyway, because we're, we're right now talking about news that's been made up synthetic news, shall we say synthetic yeah. information. Yeah. So Let's talk about synthetic information from the news. And and so for everybody, I will do my weekly recap here. The Two Truths and Lay-Eye, which Sarah has been winning. I only have two wins out of this entire series. So I'm, I'm looking for win number three here as of episode nine. Sarah has a substantial lead a- ahead of me. Each week I come back with two real stories and one fake news story. And it is incumbent upon Sarah to decide which of these stories is the made up one and which one is real. I'll share the, the actual news sources from the real ones when we're done talking. Uh, being that this is the last episode we do before New Year's Eve, I decided to do a, a New Year's themed uh, set of uh, news articles this week. Let's get into it. All right. Number one, the headline for number one is New Year's Eve beverage could go extinct due to climate change, AI company predicts. Champagne drinkers could be at a, at a loss by the year 2050, <laughs> according to AI-driven data. Bye-bye, bubbly. Champagne may be in short supply rather soon, according to Climate AI, a climate resilience platform based in San Francisco. The company said that the changing global climate could threaten the popular celebratory beverage. Climate AI's artificial intelligence-driven data has suggested that hundreds of grapevine, excuse me, hundreds of grape varieties could be on the brink of extinction, including champagne-making grapes like Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, and Merlot. There's number one. They, this is, you know, if we want to affect climate change, you have to lead with this sort of story. Mm-hmm. It's like the it's daily life impact. Yeah. yeah. Not that everybody should drink champagne every day. Life. I'm not recommending. <laughs> no, I aspire to, to that, but yeah. yeah. So there's number one. Here's number two. 
Countdown, Companion, New Yorkers turn to View Vista AI for optimal ball drop spots in Times Square. New Yorkers and tourists alike are gearing up for New Year's Eve, preparing to use artificial intelligence to elevate their Times Square experience. This year, some revelers are downloading the View Vista AI app, which hopes to revolutionize how people choose their ideal vantage points for the iconic ball drop at midnight. As anticipation builds for the countdown, the streets of Times Square will transform into a tech-centric hub now for all of those who downloaded the app. The app considers crucial factors such as crowd density, weather, and historical visibility data to recommend optimal spots for an unparalleled view of the New Year's Eve spectacle. From augmented reality previews to real-time updates on crowd movement, View Vista claims to streamline the process of selecting the perfect location. As the city gears up for the grand moment, this AI app is poised to redefine the New Year's Eve experience, turning it into a tech-driven quest for the best views in the city that thrives on innovation. All right, there's number two. Now number three. Burger King taps facial recognition for hangover promotion. Timed to the many drinking occasions that arrive over the holidays, the Brazil wing of Burger King launched a Hangover Whopper interactive campaign using facial recognition technology to dole out coupons based on hangover severity. Accessible through a microsite and the brand's mobile app, the campaign encourages consumers to take a selfie of themselves. Facial recognition software then scans their face to measure your hangover level from one to three, according to the official press release. The higher the number, the greater the discount. The site will also recommend which combo, Whopper Junior Double, Whopper, or Whopper Double. Yeah. These are great. I I think that the champagne is a real story. And I've actually been following this, but that's because I live in Northern California <laughs> and because this is news, mm-hmm. right? I think the Burger King Brazilian play, I think that's great. I don't think this is true, but I mean, because you're giving up all this data, it's such a, it's just a, it's just a gimmick, but I, and I think View Vista is a completely legitimate operation, but the wording <laughs> created iconic ball drop, just throwing in some adjectives in a way where I was just like, you know, it had a list of yeah. Generative loves a list. It, so I'm yeah. going to say two is the fake. Yeah, two is the fake. Two is the two is the ah. actual fake. You're, and I, you know what? I even ran a follow up prompt on this to tell it to trim down the language because that is my experience. Is it's way too wordy. You know, I ask it to be more yeah. direct, and it it is not a good writer in a lot of cases. I got to say, I we talked about this last week. It's it's like we need to remove. It's almost like you have to have a, a filter, dare I say, a human that mm-hmm. could make it sound more, more like a kind of fun puff piece that mm-hmm. it is. Because if you look at, say, the way different magazines, you know, we talked Parade Magazine, mm-hmm. I think, last time, but even the National Enquirer, the National Enquirer does not have, I believe, in its glossary the word husband, it has the term hubby. <laughs> so it's it's they've done like oh a, a switch where everyone is a hubby yeah. right yeah. and yeah. and there's a lot of kind of it has its own it's a, language. It's a voice language. and that's what you say in, in, in the media voice. world it's a exactly. voice and that's 
That's value. It's a, yeah. yeah. So it's it, so maybe I would say for a prompt, remove cloying adjectives. I like that. I may try that. But yeah, but the <laughs> these are all these are great stories. I found it. I I, I, I like the concept. I thought it did a fine job envisioning what the concept would be, but the execution was yeah. just not there in the writing. All right. Well, you're up to seven and two now. So props to you. Props to you. Challenge is still on my, my plate. The gauntlet is still sitting there. All right. I think this is a legitimate, like these, you're doing a very good job of choosing these. <laughs> I think I've been lucky a couple of times. And I appreciate it. The ones I did lose, I, I felt like I kind of threw away. So I think I've, I've gotten some yeah. I probably shouldn't have. Right. Let me, let me, let me too just throw in the citations because I do value, like, like I've said with AI, oh, yes. I, I value citations. The Burger King piece was from Retail Wire. And the New Year's Eve beverages going extinct wine piece was actually from foxnews.com. So I'll throw the oh links gosh. in there and as we as we go to the show notes that everybody sees. In the meantime, Sarah, I'll see you again to record in 2024. Have a wonderful new year. Wow. And to all of our listeners, have a safe and wonderful new year out there. And we will see you in the new year. Good luck, everyone. All right. Happy New Year. That's it for this week's episode of the AI Artifacts podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope that you'll visit us on AIartifacts.net. There, you can subscribe to our Substack show notes newsletter and discuss anything you just heard. If you like what we're doing, we'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast and rate us on your platform of choice. The show is produced by Brian Wormuth and Sarah Luger. Our visual design work is from Corey Scarin and Scarin Design. The music on the show is from Vanishing Horizon by Jason Shaw and is used under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 United States license.